matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Why? Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we? Come play with us, Danny. Bad luck to kill a seabird. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Horror Flicks and Guitar Picks podcast. I'm your host, Trashmouth, and this week my guest is the one and only Davey Oberlin, the one-man synthwave machine, also known as All the Damn Vampires, and live keyboardist for the legendary Corn. I also want to shout out a couple podcasts that I've been listening to lately. Of course, my dudes over at the Moth Boys released a brand new episode where they dive into the shit happening over at the Chestnut Ridge. And then my guys over at Bad Taste Video, they drop new episodes every Tuesday as well as I do. But last week, they went over the 80s hidden gem, The Deadly Spawn. And same thing with my boys over at Fright Vision Video. They drop a new episode every Tuesday, but last week they dropped an episode on the hidden gym. There's nothing out there. So make sure you go check all those guys out. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And here's the interview. How's it going, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. So uh, if you don't mind, just start by telling me a little bit about how you linked up with the guys in Corn. I mean, I know that's got to be something that you probably kind of dreamed about. I'm sure everybody grows up a Corn fan, at least in my mind, everybody grows up a Corn fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I, I was a huge fan growing up, you know, especially in high school. Like the the first, you know, three or four albums were like huge to me. I just I loved them. I had no no like context, you know, on on the people writing the music or what the songs were about so it was even more like like endearing to me because i just had no idea what i was listening to it was just so raw and like heavy yeah um, and like the use of 808s and everything it was just so cool but uh yeah i don't know i just kind of i started touring when i was like 19 playing guitar you know i was with jen from l7 and her band and just kept mm. you know doing all kinds of bands and projects playing guitar and death metal bands like winds of plague and dawn of ashes on metal blade and then oh, i yeah. I was out on tour with uh, Avenged Sevenfold. They're pretty good friends of mine. So I did all the uh, sound design on their mobile game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were like, dude, why don't we, why don't you come out on tour with us for a little bit? And I tried, you know, the other side of the stage, I tried teching, which uh, I just totally just didn't didn't enjoy. You know, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. I really respect those guys. But because of that, I actually got to know some of the guys in Corn, um, Head and Fieldy. And uh, we became pretty good friends. So when the spot was up to, you know, fill for the live keyboard player, they gave me a shot and uh, they were like, we're going to try you out, you know, your first tour is Europe. So I was kind of nervous, you know, it was, it was a big step up, but at the same time, it, it ended up just being awesome. They're yeah. all such great guys and, you know, it's kind of a family atmosphere. It's not a lot of crazy partying, you know, contrary to what people might think or, you know, with the past of their touring was like so yeah, yeah it was great man i just i just settled in and and you know it was totally like a new experience playing keyboard live because keyboard was just something that i used in the studio to write music i was usually playing guitar live so that mm. was kind of a huge change but it just felt really natural and they made it so much easier for me by just being really you know easygoing and cool about everything so yeah it just kind of kind of fell together you know as i put into place i'm a huge fan of winds of plague that's awesome that you played with them for a few years i was gonna say and your other project is is kind of completely different but uh i'm a huge fan of the name alone but then i checked it out and i'm a huge fan of it completely uh all the damn vampires you might Thank tell you. me a little bit about that yeah so that's kind of that's my baby it's like uh you know i've always been a fan of um 
80s films and just like the aesthetic and the the combination of the music and the storytelling i feel like that was kind of like just a, a really magic time that we might not ever see anything like that again and mm-hmm. so i was listening to a lot of uh you know synth music and i remember um far cry came out with that dlc where they they had power glove do the whole mm-hmm. soundtrack and oh, i was yeah. just like it totally like perked my ears up and i'm like you know i I should start using some of my synth vsts and doing more stuff like this so over the years i kind of just developed it and what you're hearing now all the damn vampires is the product of me finally being like okay i think my production's you know good enough to release so uh i'm a lost boys is one of my favorite films ever so (laughs) i had to go with that that name you know it's the best line line in the film arguably and of many and so my my friends already got death by stereo so (laughs) but uh As I say, the other best ones taken, and that was that's my favorite line is "Death by Stereo." But I do love the uh, the problem with Santa uh, Carlos, all the damn vampires. Yes, uh, the yeah, one thing I've always hated about Santa Carlos. Yeah, Grandpa's definitely the best part of that movie. Uh, he, do you have any is. memories of, that like involve that movie growing up that you really like stick out? I just remember like you know when I was younger, I was like, oh dude, I gotta get. I got to get myself a dangly cross earring. <laughs> I gotta, so as soon as I, I was like 18, I went and got my ear pierced and got the, the dangly cross because of that film. And I had to do uh, a live cast for my mask when I was playing in Dawn of Ashes. Mm. And so the process is they, you know, they cover your head with the mold and you have to breathe through a straw. And it's really claustrophobic. It's like it takes a while. So I uh, I'm super claustrophobic. And so my my comfort during that was the guy that was doing my live cast put on the film Lost Boys in the background. So, I, you know, something familiar that I heard because I would just I would watch that movie any every chance I got. I mean, when mm-hmm. DVD players were a thing, like I always had the DVD on me just, you know, so I could go back and kind of reminisce the soundtrack. Everything was just like perfect to me. So, um, yeah. yeah, to this day, I'm still like you know, watching the film like once every two weeks just to kind of get inspired, you know, when I'm writing music. Yeah. Now, I love it how uh, Grandpa calls it the double thick Oreos <laughs> instead of double stuff. But uh, yes. I can see that, too, because uh, I remember one time I went and got uh, I can't remember what it was. It obviously was not nowhere near as long and painful as a mold, but I think it was like a root canal or something. And that was the first oh. thing they said was, uh, you know, you got a CD in the car and, you know, a headset you could just put on and listen to some music. You know, that way it's you know, what calms you down, what music do you like the most and stuff. And it was so long ago, I honestly don't remember what CD it was, but uh, I just remember him letting me, like, put something on. I think it actually put me to sleep during a root canal, so I could definitely <laughs> see the comfort of uh, the Lost Boys. I think now, nowadays that I'm older, I would probably be more comforted by a movie, you know, than listening to music while something like that goes on, just because music makes you want to move a little bit too much, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if you're hearing, you know, the dialogue in the movie, it kind of takes you out of that place you're in and you're thinking about what they're doing you know tangibly it's like especially a root canal man that is brutal (laughs) now i was really young yeah i mean it's like when you get tattooed and they're playing something really like hectic and you're already like all right it's eight hours i don't want any more pain i don't want this energy like you know put something relaxing on yeah rage against the machine has been a little bit too aggressive for this uh eight hour tattoo (laughs) exactly oh (laughs) some shops man like they're crazy i had i had my chest done and uh they were playing it was just like all soundcloud rap Mm. and at first i was like i'm I'm gonna get over this quick man because some of it's just like lines repeating repeating and then after a while i was like oh you know some of the instrumentals on this are actually pretty cool like i was you know it, it was like the right vibe like to get through having your sternum you know ripped to shreds <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I feel you. So, uh, what do you got coming up with uh, all the damn vampires before we move on to movies and stuff? Yeah, so, uh, and thank you for asking. I, I just recently put out the first single to the EP I have coming out later this month. On the 24th, I have Escape EP coming out, and it's my first EP that has, every track has vocals on it. So, it's mm. uh, four, four songs. The single I Can't Go is the first one I released from it. That's out right now. Also, the lyric video for that's up on the uh, Obsessed by Neon YouTube channel, Luigi Donatello. And uh, that one's pretty cool. Like, I, I got some pretty awesome art on that one. So I kind of try to find like the best visual aesthetic to match the songs. And there's so many great artists right now that do, you know, specifically like the retro and synthwave genre type stuff. So I got that matched up with it. The EP's kind of. Uh, a precursor to my full length that'll be coming out in the fall so i'll have a full length album in october like i think a day before or a day after the new stranger things uh season premieres so that'll be called synth city and that'll be a full length album um gonna have a lot of cool guest appearances on there from other synthwave artists and uh michelle ben simmon who's on my track saturdays returning uh ryan rose who did my track breaking up so yeah i'm excited man i got a bunch of cool stuff i'm gonna maybe do a limited vinyl run some merch so hopefully uh i'll have some more things for people to to invest in and kind of have you know have more of a overall experience with it oh yeah no that's awesome especially a perfect time and dropping around stranger things you know people can keep bumping your album to keep that 80s vibe alive after they finish the season because who knows what it'll be until we get the uh, fifth season that's for damn sure with netflix yeah exactly yeah and the good news is like you know i have a few friends that work with netflix they actually did my music video for saturday which is up on new retrowave but they've mm-hmm. been uh they've been filming again so netflix is starting up productions they just have to kind of like follow you know different guidelines right now for cleanliness and safety but yeah. uh i think i think hollywood has that budget you know they just can't burn the extra money on like you know 200 uh 12 packs of coca-cola for catering or something you know they got to tighten down a little bit yeah no definitely so is there any uh anything else you would like to add about you know all the damn vampires coming up before we go into the movies um i I just want to you know i'm just hoping that you guys will will like and uh follow my different socials with that and uh yeah i'm gonna basically have a steady stream of releases until the fall and then I'll, Mm. i'll have a game plan from there so yeah just uh just keep an eye out there's there's more coming Oh, yeah. Now, that song Saturday is my shit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. I know. I'm really stoked like that it kind of took on a life of its own and it's been received so well. It just the song makes me really happy. And yeah. uh, I I wrote it like um, not to go too far off on a tangent. But when I wrote it, I just put the working title as Saturday on the instrumental because I was like, man, it makes me feel like when I'm a kid and it's Saturday again, I don't got to go to school, you know, but at the same time, I know the weekend's going to end. So it's a little sad. And uh, when I sent it off to Michelle to check out, she just like took it from there and, and absolutely killed it with, uh, you know, the the top lines and the melodies and everything. So it's really cool how it came together. Hell yeah. No, that's awesome. Do you have any uh, vocalists that you're like super stoked on or are you just stoked on all of them? Like you don't really want to. Uh, Michelle, Michelle's my girl. Like she's just her voice matches up with everything i've been doing and i i love it so much but uh you know one of my really good friends is is ryan rose who's on breaking up and so i got the two of them together on the title track for the ep this month called escape to the night and so they're they're both on it it's kind of a cool little duet like power ballad that outlines the whole story of this uh this kind of night city that that i'm concepting for the full length but uh i am talking with uh, a couple artists there's uh lebrock and uh i love their music so i'm doing a track with him uh i've been working with josh daly and 
Wolf Club and I have a collaboration song coming out in August. So this is the first I've mentioned it or even announced it per se, but that'll be uh, really cool because we've got a, a girl that's singing on that who just absolutely killed it. Um, yeah. And I have one other that I'm really excited about, but I can't say it yet until it's uh, you know official that we can announce yeah. it. But, but that'll be a really special uh, collaboration. Hey, I appreciate one exclusive. You don't got to give me two. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, brother. But uh, talking about horror movies, uh, do you have any memories of you know horror movies in general growing up that you usually like to share or that you always you know remember when you start to think about horror movies? It's it's kind of cliche, but uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Hell really, yeah. <laughs> it totally jacked up my childhood because what I, my sister, I have three sisters, right? My oldest was like the classic quintessential kind of 80s teen. And mm-hmm. she had a sleepover with all of her friends one night. And what they were going to do was rent Nightmare on Elm Street and watch it. So at this point, you know, I'm a kid, I'm, I'm supposed to be in bed, but I snuck out and I was like, I want to see this movie. So I snuck out and I kind of crawled under the coffee table and watched Nightmare on Elm Street with them. And uh, I had so much trouble sleeping for the next like year, <laughs> you know, because it was just the whole thing happens in your dreams and you sleep. And I always imagined like my closet opening, you know, and there you'd see Freddy there. So that that really was like a double edged sword. Like obviously it like ignited a, a curiosity for horror films for me. But at the same time, it my active imagination it was like the worst possible thing i could have put in it at the time no freddy is terrifying he's one that uh he scared me at first but for some reason because i only had like a a handful of vhs's to revisit after a while once i got over it he became one of my favorites and surprisingly didn't scare me after i got like past that initial scare of him but uh I was a huge wimp when it com- came to like a lot of movies growing up. Like, for instance, I was scared of Idle Hands the first time I saw it. I don't oh, know if you've yeah. ever seen that. But. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I was really scared of uh, Chucky when I was little. Oh, hell and, yeah. Uh, we, I remember like the scene where he's all burnt and he's just kind of slowly stalking down the hallway. And they actually had like a little person in the costume. That was uh, just so terrifying to me. It, I, I don't know. I think it was like Dolls that really scared me. There was a movie called Dolls. And then there was uh, like Puppet Master. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously I loved him, but. It just was like the creepiest thing to me, like Lady Leech, you know, crawling on that guy while he was asleep. And do you remember like, did you ever go into like blockbusters and just like browse like the the VHSs and look at the backs of them? And there was always like just great like horror films, you know, and they always had really interesting cover art. So I was always just walking into the horror section. You know, I'd go with like my mom as a kid and she's not going to rent that stuff for me. So I was Mm. always just like, all right making a note in my head i got to check this one out you know so i was always like um kind of like cataloging in my head these covers so it was a lot to do with like the art and the names and then um you know when i was able to access those i was like i got to catch up on everything horror right now no that's exactly how it was for me actually because like my mom she probably would have rented it for me but she knew that i would be scared of it like i would regret it immediately so i uh would vicariously live through the cases pretty much like i go over there and be like oh that looks scary as shit that's good enough for me i'll see it when i'm older <laughs> but uh yeah so no i did pretty much the same thing it's it sucks because like i i have some of these friends that you know they've been watching it so they talk about all these movies and i'm like i know a handful of uh 80s classics for sure but i'm still in catch-up mode from where i didn't watch them growing up from being so scared so i'm right there with you yeah. i try to catalog those like if i see something now like looking through maybe 2b or shutter 
and it like pops in my head. I'm like, oh, that was something on the shelf. Like that movie Parents. That was one that stuck out to me. I don't know if you've oh, seen that. I haven't. I haven't seen that. Is that one on Shutter? I don't think it's on Shutter. I watched it back when it was on Amazon Prime, but I want to say it got taken off of like you know being available for free. You can still rent it on Prime or whatever, but it's got uh, Randy Quaid in it, and it's like him and his wife are cannibals. I can't remember too much of it, but it was one that uh, I remember the cover really sticking out to me because the front of them is like serving this like plate of meat and it's like really weird looking and it says parents like in blood and that just (laughs) always stuck out to me. So I was like, I got to watch that when I get older for sure. I'm sold, man. That's amazing. Like I I just would I'd go to my cousins and he kind of had like free reign of whatever he was doing or watching and he was Mm. all about like Friday the 13th and Halloween and so We'd have these like weekends where I'd stay over there. We'd binge watch like horror films. We'd watch Beavis and Butthead and listen to like Typo Negative and uh, mm-hmm. Prong and you know just like Life of I mean, even Life of Agony when the River Runs Red album came out. Like we were just kind of these weekends for me were like these like metal weekends. You know, it'd be like wrestling, WWF, horror films, metal. Like so, I got you know fully immersed in all of that. You know, through my my cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, He's actually why, like, I picked up the guitar and wanted to, like, play metal, you know, because he would show me, like, Pantera and Slayer. And I, I had no idea about any of that stuff before him, you know. So it oh, was yeah. really cool. Like, and, and I remember he owned a glow-in-the-dark uh, Jason Voorhees mask. <laughs> so, um, But I think, honestly, my favorite horror film of all time, and to this day, I still enjoy going back and watching it, is Return of the Living Dead. Hell yes. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly one of my favorite in the, the tar man that's in the basement. Like it's it's just so well done. The soundtrack is awesome. I found it on Spotify yeah. uh, a couple of years back. And so I I still go back and I'm like, this is the most brilliant soundtrack. Like it just fully fit that era, fit the movie. I when we did that uh Saturday music video, one of the shirts that I got for it was from that um company cavity colors because they have the license for all the return of the living dead merch and they made a pretty cool uh tar zombie t-shirt so yeah. i just kind of threw little nods to that in there like the other t-shirt i'm wearing in the music video is uh big trouble in little china it's the same screen print that kurt russell's wearing on his uh tank top in it so oh, <laughs> i just yeah. kind of yeah i just wanted to throw like little nods to like you know some of my favorites no that's awesome i love uh, return of the living dead it's it's not my favorite movie of all time but it is my favorite uh zombie movie of uh of all time like it's just it's completely funny and like you said it's just i don't think there's a more punk rock zombie movie than return of the living dead it's even got so many people in it too like uh miguel nunez jr you know he was in one of the other friday the 13th uh also joanna man (laughs) uh the main (laughs) punk rocker uh the dude with like the one that's driving i can't remember his name but he was also in friday the 13th part five as one of the counselors he's the one that like freaks out and kills the kid with the axe yeah uh what's his name in uh it's like trash or suicide or something like that i think i think he's suicide because uh linnea quigley is trash and then i was gonna say you have scream queen linnea quigley who's dancing naked half the movie in a cemetery oh oh, right she's trash that's right yeah (laughs) no no she's not trash as a person that's her yeah that's her name yeah (laughs) yeah yeah that whole that scene is legendary she's like oh i've always fantasized about being eaten alive by a bunch of old men or something yeah. like that um yeah and then you know, like frank and uh ernie and all you know just the characters were just so classic but what one thing i loved about it was um the zombie makeup like yeah i 
I love zombie films, but sometimes they just don't, you know, if the zombies are just like too normal looking, it just doesn't really creep me out that much. But they really did a good job of making the zombies all look decayed and, you know, like more skeletal. Yeah. Um, I always thought like the Walking Dead series, they they did a really good job with the zombies on that because they showed like the time. But, you know, then they we got that whole era of zombie films where they just did really fast running zombies with like black eyes and blood coming out of their mouth, you know, and it's like, eh, it doesn't really scare me that much. I'm, I'm more terrified of the like really gnarly, like, <laughs> you know, decayed skeletal looking ones. Yeah. They did too many movies where everybody was like a fresh, you know, where the outbreak was fresh. It's nicer to see where, you know, it's affecting the dead actually rising back up from the ground. So they're like, like you said, they're way more decayed and, you know, cause like Dawn of the dead, uh, even like all of those movies pretty much were even like the original ones weren't that far into the outbreak. So, and it was all like a disease that carried throughout the acid rain. And this is like actually rising them from the dead for a change. So it makes, it even makes sense of why they're like that. And I like how like it explains why they moan and groan and shit. Like it says that they like are filling their rigor mortis. I thought that was crazy. I was, I thought that was (laughs) genius. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When they, they have that one, uh, like zombie that's chopped in half and they put her on the table and she's talking about the brains and all that. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's so great. You know, they really like, like put you in the moment and give you an idea of what really is going on. And w- when the whole like, um, little warehouse they have with all the like cadaver stuff starts coming alive. That was like, that was pretty great too. Like the dog that was cut in half on the, the board and all that stuff. Like yeah. there's just so many cool moments in that movie. I, I would love to see like somebody, nail that kind of uh composition again you know it's kind of it kind of was like lost boys where they get that perfect blend of the action and the comedy and uh and then some of it has a little bit of a, a realism to it as well you know no definitely i couldn't agree more those two movies i almost feel like if you're a fan of one you have to be a fan of the other or you know just uh you know most of the time there's a lot of people that have seen the lost boys that hasn't seen return of the living dead but i feel like anybody that says i like the lost boys if you show them return of the living dead they're going to end up a fan by the end of it so yeah, totally. I agree. I, I think like anything that, that that's terrifying or really heavy, if you have a little bit of an element in there that lightens it up, I think it makes it easier for anybody to kind of latch onto and enjoy it more, you know? Yeah. Have any other uh, classic horror favorites that you usually uh, like to revisit a lot? Um, you know, I know we already spoke of it, but I it's not so much a classic, but uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake, I just really enjoy that that remake i think it's like one of the best that i've seen and i do uh i do like going back and watching that one just you know admiring the um the effects makeup and you know just the uh the intensity of the story on that like they really make you feel trapped in that mall you know so um that's when i i like to go back to um day of the dead was uh always a favorite i love the music in it um the opening sequences and you know when the the elevator comes down and all the zombies are inside of that elevator and they they pull that guy's head off yeah. <laughs> it's like dude the, the details are insane like as he's screaming you hear the scream pitch change because it's like ripping his vocal cords yeah I just like I, I, that that movie is just like i think a case study in how to to do a detailed uh zombie uh, horror film you know yeah those practical effects and that are definitely like some some of it's kind of unbelievable like you you almost look at that and wonder how they did that back you know when they did it because that's i believe early 80s if i'm not mistaken that might be late 70s but i believe day of the dead is early 80s i'm not sure yeah i think i think it's early 80s I'm, like 81 or something 
Yeah. And, you know, we we spoke about Stranger Things for a moment, but they actually, you know, do you remember in season three, if you saw season three, they had the movie theater was actually playing it. Yep. <laughs> they snuck uh, in uh, the yeah. Day of the Dead. Like they acted like they were seeing, I think, Back to the Future. They acted like they were seeing something, but they went and saw Day of the Dead for sure. Yeah. It's like that show just gets it, man. Like there, there were so many cool references. Like I grew up loving Alien and Aliens and mm. uh, Predator, you know, Bloodsport. And I feel like they... You know, whoever uh, was writing that and putting it together in the aesthetics of that show, like they were just grabbing from pieces of all of those, you know, incredible films. And and I, I think a lot of the Day of the Dead music inspired uh, the music for Stranger Things as well. Like I, I can hear a lot of the same kind of nuances and arpeggios in there. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's one thing I do like about Stranger Things. You can tell that they're true fans of like, just pop culture really in general like like you said they pull from everything but to touch on some of the horror things they pull from and like the first season alone the poster they have the thing poster they have the uh evil dead poster and then and then in the very first episode of season three they actually used some of john Masari's score from killer clowns from outer space during the the dustin's birthday party scene i didn't even notice that yeah they uh when uh, Eleven is making all the little toys come to life and he's like freaking out, like trying to figure out what it is and then turns yeah. around with the can of uh, that's what's playing is it's like a little bit of uh, the r- original score. <laughs> that's awesome. I got to go back and, and hear that. I didn't even notice that that movie was amazing. I uh, I grew up in Burbank, which is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a mecca for film production and stuff. And a, a lot mm. of the people in the industry actually live in Burbank and you, you would think it's Hollywood, but they're right there. And one of my neighbors up the street worked on killer clowns from outer space. So every Halloween they had actual props in their front yard from the film. So That's I awesome. would always, yeah, I would always go by to like check out that house every Halloween. Cause I loved that movie and, and the practical effects for the clowns. It always creeped me out because it was like, they were smiling and smirking and, you know, the cotton candy, like cocoons when they opened them and there's a dead, dead person inside, you know, it was like, I just remember thinking it was so twisted, but I couldn't stop watching. I was like, this is amazing kind of slapstick, but you know, like when the, uh, the one clown turns his hand into the the shadow puppet and it's an actual dog. I, I would love to see them try to, uh, do like a sequel to that in modern day, but using practical effects and everything. I think, I think if if they got the original, you know, people together for that, it would be pretty incredible. Yeah, the, apparently the uh, the Kyoto brothers, which if I'm not mistaken, is who did it. Um, I believe them and John Masari, who did the original score, have been trying to get together and do a sequel for a while. It's just kind of been a little bit harder. But I think that because uh, I actually interviewed John Masari last year for a podcast before I decided to like try to switch it up into uh, a different type of podcast. Yeah. And I. I went this route because I was like, I would I would like to ask musicians about their favorite horror movies instead of trying to do what everybody else is doing and just interviewing horror people about horror movies. So I uh, so but last year when I interviewed him, I uh, asked him a little bit about it. And he said that if you notice in the Child's Play remake, there's a Killer Clowns from Outer Space poster. He Mm -hmm. said they they use a little bit of their score in Stranger Things. Uh, The movie is now being put like on the front page of Netflix. So he's hinting that the that pretty much the distributors behind the original film are trying to build the hype around the original film again. So that way they can do a sequel and it will make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's in the cards for the next few years. Hopefully COVID doesn't fuck something small like that up, you know, cause that would definitely be something that would fall victim to 
you know, if they had to start cutting out smaller projects. But yeah, that that would be heartbreaking. I, I would love to see them pull that off because I, I think that would be incredible right now. Like, yeah, just just the fact that all of these streaming services have allowed like scripts that wouldn't normally see the light of day to get budgets and, you know, do things is awesome. Like um, I, there's a, a horror film on Netflix. And I believe it's called The Ritual. You see yeah. that? Dude, that was awesome. And I was thinking, I'm like, man, that this would never get a major theatrical release with a huge budget, you know, right now because they always play it so safe. But on Netflix, it was perfect. And, and they gave it a budget and just killed it. Like the the Loki or whatever that monster is at the end is just so badass. <laughs> like, you know, the twists and turns. Oh, you know what that reminded me of is The Descent. That was another film that just blew me away. Uh, where the girls go cave diving and they run into those creatures. Yeah, no, that's uh, those are both movies that are newer but don't rely on CGI literally at all. I don't yeah. feel like. Yeah, I don't think I recall any CGI unless they, you know, they were just using it for some of the extra blood splatter. But like, yeah, just some of those moments like were phenomenal. I, I love practical effects, you know, like, but at the same time, um, the supernatural films. They sometimes have to use a lot of the CGI. I think one of my favorites is uh, probably Event Horizon. Yeah. That movie just like that movie messed me up. It like would give me chills, you know, to, like the scene where he's seeing his uh, his dead wife in the vents, you know, when he's trying to work on things in the in the main chamber. Just the idea of like finding a, a gateway to hell in outer space. Like I've always thought about that, you know, like what if, and that film just like blends horror and sci-fi so well i i think I'm, I'm actually more of a fan of the horror sci-fi combination than i'm that i'm actually realizing you know as mm -hmm. i go later on in life just because um the prospect of us actually going you know up to mars and things like that is becoming more and more a reality so i'm like always wondering like man what if they run into some crazy stuff up there Could, would it touch on you know exactly what event horizon was like or <laughs> you know evil yeah. spirits well, also, as you get older, I feel like you also start to uh, realize the fear a little bit more of like, oh, shit, there's nowhere they can go. You know, as a kid, you you know they're on a spaceship, but you don't really it doesn't always click in your brain like, oh, they can't walk outside and leave the spaceship. Like <laughs> as you get older, that like real fear starts to sit with you for sure that, uh, you know, of, oh, fuck, they're stuck there with whatever it is that they're stuck, you know, with for that film, pretty much. That's a really good point. Actually, I, I never thought about it like that, but they really just you know, however big that structure is, that's where they're at. I, when I was, uh, I think I was like 18, I was just being stupid with a bunch of friends and we all got arrested. And I remember like, it was all funny. And then once we got to the actual jail and we were locked up in our own cells, it hit me. I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> like there's pretty much no freedom to just walk out that door and, you know, yeah. do whatever I want anymore. Like it was a really, really hard reality. So that's a, that's a really good point. I never thought about with event horizon, but I think, you know, watching it again, having that in my head is going to make it a lot more intense because, you know, a, a lot of the the films that take place underwater, like uh, The Abyss and stuff like that, like I, I did feel when I was watching those like, oh, man, I'd be so claustrophobic or what if the, you know, the structure bows and, and it floods, you know, that's like my worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, 
I actually started watching, but I haven't finished yet because I, I was falling asleep. But I started watching that newer film, Underwater, with uh, Kristen Stewart. I haven't checked that out yet, but I've been uh, really wanting to. I just, uh, with everything coming out, and I've been moving constantly. So I've, I've been trying to watch as many movies as I can. And uh, I've been watching just a lot of older stuff that's streaming for free instead of, you know, searching out the stuff that, you know, still is up for rent and whatnot. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that one, uh, I think it's worth checking out. I, I have to finish it, but everything so far has built up and i it was almost giving me too much anxiety i was just like you know just thinking of drowning and and getting crushed by the water like those those affect me the most for some reason like there was a sylvester stallone film where a tunnel collapsed or flooded it was called daylight and Mm -hmm. uh I saw that one in theaters and I just remember having the worst anxiety the whole time because they kept having to hold their breath and swim through these like collapsed archways and around all this stuff. And I was just like cringing the whole time. But in a good way, you know, like it's obviously a good film if it draws you in like that. There was yeah. a, there was a film uh, a while ago I saw in theaters where um, you're basically following this girl running from a serial killer the whole time is that ringing a bell I, i'm trying to remember the name of it it was like called like silent house no that, it's that one take film no it, it was very similar to that but it was called like high high intensity or oh high, high tension. tension yes that's it yeah. yeah and that was like you know you're on the edge of your seat the whole time and you know how often can you really say that about a film because I feel like the newer films, they throw so much at you and they add so much large scale stuff that you're like desensitized. Like, the, you know, for example, like the new Transformers films that were made, there was just like an overload of everything. So nothing really was that impressive because you were just like, oh, OK, I've seen like the entire planet blow up on, on screen. So, yeah, but uh, if you can just like focus in on the character and it makes the audience feel like, oh, my gosh, like, is she going to get caught? You know, that. That to me is just brilliant, and that film really did a good job of that. Yeah, I love films when there's only like a like a handful of people in the whole movie. You know what I mean? Uh, did you ever yeah. see uh, Devil? Speaking of movies that are like claustrophobic, you know the one where they're stuck in the elevator. Oh yes, yeah, that was um, was that Shyamalan? M. M. Night Shyamalan. Yep. Yeah, that was that was one of his better films. Like I was I was happy to see him come back, and because he was getting a lot of heat for things he was doing, but. That yeah. one was pretty cool, and it definitely made me feel claustrophobic. I, you know, just starting to think of like all the awkward elevator moments that I've ever been <laughs> in. You know, speaking of devils, did did you see I saw the devil? No, I haven't. Uh, what did you think of that one? It's it's probably one of my newer favorites, and it's okay. I watched it like three or four times because it was just so well done. Like the cinematography, everything is That's pretty a brilliant. Korean film or something, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And it's not it's not necessarily horror, but I think there's a lot of horror elements in there. Um, I, I would recommend that one. I always recommend it to my friends when they're like, what's a good one to watch on uh, Netflix? And if it's still up there, like that one is is in my top 10 of uh, films I discovered through Netflix because it's just brilliant. Yeah, now definitely check it out. I had, uh, I had Tim Howley from Fit for an Autopsy on the show, and he actually recommended it to me. And it slipped my mind uh, until you just brought it back up. So that's why I like remembered it was he said it was a Korean film. So he was like, if you don't like subtitles, you might not want to watch it. And I told him I was like, that don't bother me. I just want to see a good movie. I don't know if you ever saw. Uh, Do you see Parasite? The new the movie? That yeah, just, that was excellent. I know that's not really horror, but I feel like that can it does have, definitely has a uh, horror elements, though. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, you know, the I, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but the yeah. uh, the the other family like that was all those elements like 
that one was really well done. I didn't know what to expect. I saw a trailer and I kind of had an idea, but that one was like pleasantly surprising. And I'm really glad that it did so well because I think it deserved that kind of limelight, especially in the States, like being able to, to tell a story that well um, with such a dark subject matter is pretty rare. And I, yeah. I don't mind reading subtitles at all. I actually prefer sometimes because I, I feel like I'm, you know, getting a little bit of wisdom or learning about another language or another culture, like in some sort of way, you know, so it's always been really interesting to me to watch foreign films and, you know, like uh, the original Let the Right Ones In. And it, there's just been so many remakes here where we like, americanize it per se and sometimes they do a good job like i think they did a really good job with let the right ones in and but then there's films that you just can't like even touch the original you know yeah um, i think what was like the grudge and the ring like the originals were probably way better before they yeah. kind of got americanized no that's like uh one of my favorite american versions is uh funny games but it's only because oh yeah it's literally the same, you know, the same director, Michael Haneke, just made it himself and he just did like a shot for shot American version, which I feel like if if you're going to do it, then just do it that way. Because I was going to say yeah. the only reason I don't like subtitles is uh, if there's like a big reveal in a movie, I'd rather get it, you know, with, you know, with the flow of the movie, not a little bit early, you know, read it on accident or something. Yeah, but, that's uh, a really good point. But that's the only thing that's the only only thing I care about. So if, you know, if the movie's in a different language, I, you know, that's not an option I have. And that's I want to learn the whole language. So, uh, yeah, but uh, so that's the only reason I don't usually use uh, subtitles. But as far as movies like uh, Inside and Martyrs, I don't know if you watch either of those, but those are two movies where somebody else took the vision of somebody or even uh, I don't know if you saw Wreck and Quarantine. Um, yeah. But they took the same vision and they kind of gave it too much of a blockbuster feel to it and like uh, just did enough to take away the like the vision that was behind it. I feel like like, when, for example, you know, Wreck was done with such a low budget and it was done with, you know, uh, very amateur actors. So everything just felt so real in the first movie. And then you turn it on its head and do it with somebody coming off uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose, which was like one of the hottest horror movies. So she was blowing up. So it's yeah. like. I don't know. It just uh, it took something that only worked like that worked because of its, you know, grittiness and rawness. And it just took that out of it. So it was like, why even remake it? Just, you know, if people want to watch it. They'll watch the original and with subtitles and stuff. Wreck yeah, was huge, too. So. We just kind of like I think in the in the back of our minds, we always know when something's being like hyped or or they're just like, oh, that's the hottest actress right now. So it kind of takes away that that like surprise feeling or that fresh kind of realism there there was a movie uh that really surprised me like just how gritty and and just absolutely brutal the film was without apologizing for itself was uh green room yeah i love that yeah i was like so stunned we, we went to go see it just on you know we thought it sounded like an interesting film i think we mm -hmm. were on tour when we saw it but it was so unexpectedly brutal and um there's always like those those scenes that catch you in films like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he first slides that door open, hits the dude with the hammer and then pulls him away. It's you're just like your jaws hanging down, you know, and then yeah. um, I think there was a, a film on Netflix called The Babysitter. And yeah. Uh, yeah, when when her friend's driving away and the guy just shoots her, I was like sitting there just stunned. I was like, what? What just happened? Like, you know, so Green Room kind of felt like that moment for an entire film it was pretty cool um, yeah i love seeing stuff like that and they did that with a, a fairly well-known cast you know but they they didn't really uh add anything to it that would 
make it go easy on the uh, the rating system or anything. They just were like, we're going to make this movie. It's going to be brutal and unapologetic. And, you know, those are always like the gems that I love to find. Yeah. And that's one I uh, just like because I know the plot of I Saw the Devil. I've just never seen it. But just like I Saw the Devil, Green Room is one that you would immediately, you know, if you had to give it a category, you'd probably say horror. But I mean, yeah. What's, oh, yeah. what's I mean, there's nothing really horror about it as far as like, you know, if you sat there and watched that movie, unless you just like, you know, quench at the gore or whatever, you feel the intenseness of it. And that kind of gets you like I could see that, be you know, the intenseness part. But as far as like actually being scared of like to look at the screen, unless you just can't like handle the handle gore, it's like there's really nothing like scary about it. But that just goes to show how broad like the, you know, the horizon of horror is, because I don't know anybody that yeah. if you said, you know, what would you call Green Room? They'd say anything but horror, you know, so. That's one thing right. I like about horror, too, though, is the fact that it is so broad and it could be, you know, one movie could be chop full of jump scares and that's considered horror. Or you could have a movie that's just literally a a driven, gritty, intense movie that just, you know, grabs you by the neck the whole time. And that's horror as well. So, yeah, like psychological. I, I really appreciate the psychological horrors like um, yeah. what lies beneath was was to me, you know, really well done. Harrison Ford and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer it was like just incredible like when she's in the bathtub and she's drugged and the water slowly filling and she's trying to kick the drain with her toes like <laughs> you're just on the edge of your seats but then they also had that really cool kind of haunted element that was in there so it was a whole mixture of the the psychological and the supernatural which is like you know if you could pull that off that's that's pretty cool I think they did a good job with that with Dead Silence as well like I really enjoyed that film and the ventriloquist dummies really freaked me out. Yeah, that one scared the shit out of me when I first saw it. I'm yeah. not gonna lie, that oh was one gosh. of the last few that probably scared the shit out of me growing up. Before, like I, you know, started really getting into horror movies. Yeah, that one totally. Got the shit out of me, and that was James Wan's, I think, uh, big debut, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, the Blumhouse, they're they're just like turning out awesome films. I think they got a little over uh, ahead of themselves with like. Um, Oh man, I'm blanking on it right now. The the demon doll, uh, uh, Annabelle. Annabelle, yeah. yeah, yeah. I really en- enjoyed the little sub story they added to uh, the Conjuring. You know, by by starting it off with that, I, I was like, oh, that's pretty awesome. And then I was excited to see that they did a whole spinoff on it. But then <laughs> they just kept making them. I'm like, oh, this is starting to turn into like the Fast and Furious of of horror films. You know? Yeah. Um, they're making a Marvel universe out of uh, horror characters, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got like Insidious and Conjuring, and but at the same time, I'm I'm just happy that those films are being made and they're doing well because that means we'll get to see more good horror films. You know, when it's not just Halloween time. Yeah, um, just like think... with uh, like with bigger labels and stuff like that. You know, a lot of people like I don't. It doesn't really happen as much. Uh, I feel like nowadays, but you know, back in the day, you'd see a label that would have, uh, you know, well. You know, they'd say say a super big band like Corn would be on the label, but then you'd also have like this, uh, you know, this little starting out like it's movies like, you know, that that are huge and stuff like that, that pay the bills for that company. So that way they can bring up that little band and stuff, you know, so it's without those big movies, Blum, Blumhouse wouldn't be able to make their, you know, little indie films that, you know, the diehard horror fans, you know, and like to enjoy and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, it's a necessary evil for sure. Yeah. I didn't want to compare corn to it because I don't think anything's bad with corn. But so that's why I was like, uh, it's hard to find the words. But oh, I think, sure. but you know what I mean? Though? Like there's always that uh, there's always the moneymaker at a company. And then they're, you know, the moneymaker is going to eventually in a way, you know, trickle down and support, help support the ones that, you know, 
aren't quite to that status yet. So, yeah, it's really important. You know, you got to have that that overhead, and uh, you know, I think I think there's still like you can see that like a company like them or a company like theirs, there's so much like passion for horror there. So it's like it definitely feels genuine. It doesn't feel like they're just making a bunch of paranormal activities. You know, like yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> but uh, I, I was thinking of. You know what movie really shocked me to the core when I was younger, as far as horror goes, was Hellraiser Two. Just the whole the mattress scenes, you know, with yes. the, where she's skinned and he's skinned. I, I just like I watch that now as an adult, and I'm like, I cannot believe that that was like shown in theaters. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just so gnarly. I mean, I'm I'm stoked. It's it's really really well done, and the makeup is just insane. But like, that was like basically mainstream back then you know like there was really a, a huge market for horror in the 80s and in the early 90s that could just succeed and strive with an r rating no matter when and uh i feel like because of you know everything right now it's delayed and i don't know when it's coming out but i feel like uh, antlers is like up there with that just based on the trailers i've seen have you watched any of the the trailers for antlers yet Yes, that's actually uh, when I first started the podcast, uh, one of the things that um, I was doing was like I'd ask somebody, you know, I'd ask everybody what some upcoming films that they would uh, be excited for, which, you know, I was going to ask that. But since we're already on the, the subject of uh, of Antlers, that's actually one that at the beginning I was telling people about, you know, like this is one I'm excited for. But then I just kind of stopped hearing about it. And uh, I've just been kind of wondering, you know, what happened with it because it never really got a release that I could see or. Yeah, you know, and they kind of stopped promoting it. So, but no, I was really excited for that. It looked, uh, it looked like a good body horror with like a good, but like with a decent story behind it. You know? Yeah, and I, from what I can see, it looks like they use practical effects for whatever the creature is. But yeah, I, I don't know if it is it Guillermo del Toro that's involved with that in some, yeah. in some capacity. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate. Like everything he does is just he really grabs that um, art direction. You know, like Pan's Labyrinth or. Yeah, that, oh. and then um, I know the movie Crimson Peak. I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but like everything in it just looked so beautiful, and like, like the set design was amazing. All the the practical effects of like this, there was like this red bloody ghost that would, you know, that was like half skeleton, and it, it had a little yeah. CGI blend to it. But uh, just the design overall was awesome. It's like stuff like that you don't really mind the little CGI touch ups. It's it's just when it's like you got an entire CGI monster coming at you that you kind of can't help but see some of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like he he also did uh what was it the orphan or yeah that that too like they were just he just blends it just right where it's like a it's kind of like a fairy tale but it's also uh you know just really dark and kind of grim and his storytelling never suffers during any of that it's like he just blends it perfectly that that monster um with the eyeballs on its hands like that yeah. will forever be like one of the most iconic uh film monsters you know and he pulled that off in an era where we don't really have new ones like that very often you know like this the freddies and the jasons and speaking of those guys i just saw the trailer for the next halloween film yeah halloween kills is it yeah and uh halloween kills and then halloween ends is coming the year after oh my gosh yeah i the, the halloween films are some of my favorites like i'm always a sucker but i think michael myers probably scares me the most because he's so quiet and just methodical you know like part yeah. two where his eyes are shot out and he's just swinging that exacto knife or the the surgery knife and all you can hear is his arm just 
<laughs> I that like as a kid that like did it for me. I was like, that's it. This is like the the scariest uh, horror film villain that I've ever seen. Oh yeah, now because like Leatherface, if he gets hurt, he sits there and whimpers and shit like that. Uh, yeah, Jason, you know, he'll fall over and take forever to get up. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like. Michael Myers has no eyes, and that bitch is still swinging for you. Now, he's just, like, relentless, and it's one of those that they've never really f- fed into the camp. Like, even in the later movies, when uh, the movies get kind of shitty, they never put the camp in there around the character, you know? So yeah. it's like, even with uh, Jason, you know, later on, he gets, like, a half-demon, like, not demon, but, like, half-skeleton face, and, um, you know, they, like, do a bunch of, like, Camp like he just does a bunch of weird shit. You see his mask; it gets knocked off all the time, and he's like punching dudes' heads off. It's uh, like it's all <laughs> right. It's all great Jason and takes like Manhattan. yeah, it's all great and it's like uh, definitely fun to watch. But unlike Michael, who even in the shitty uh, Paul Rudd one, I think Return to Michael Myers, that movie is awful. But at no point does Michael Myers feel like like it, at no point does the movie feel like super campy. It just feels like. You know, they're just starting to force stuff into a Michael Myers storyline that didn't need to be forced at that point. And that's what, like the cult of Thorn and shit like that. Yeah, so. like I feel like they never really like, um, at least as far as I know, I, I could have missed it. But I feel like they never really uh, unequivocally decided on like what's going on with Michael Myers, like why he's, you know, just this like relentless killing machine that can't be stopped. I, I think what was it, Season of the Witch? Yeah. Is that, the third one where it was just the masks like it was really odd it was like how mario brothers had super mario 2 there was like mm-hmm. no bowser you're like what is going on <laughs> it's just kind of like a an lsd like fever dream or something but still like it, it just never you always are asking questions about him but as far as like freddie and jason goes you know exactly where they're coming from what their deal is but with him it's always just like man like you want to know like is there a human side to this character? Like you see him take his mask off in a few f- films, you know, to like readjust or whatever. And they always do a really good job of that. Cause he still has no emotion on his face, but like I kind of enjoyed, um, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I kind of enjoyed Rob zombies take on Michael Myers, just being like an absolute beast, you know, like, yeah, no, I like the first movie. I just didn't like uh Halloween too, but I love Ro- Rob zombies. First Michael Myers, uh, first y- Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Two. I, I don't know what was going on with that. I, I think I, I was really having a tough time focusing on that one. I saw it in theaters and I just was, it just kept losing me. I was like, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Like the whole dream sequence and all that. It's just weird. Yeah. That, that was exactly what took me out of it. I feel like if you take those out of the movie, I might not even dislike it as much. Uh, it's really just that stuff just doesn't fit into me and it doesn't, it felt forced with the first movie having none of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It sem- seemed like an entirely different, um, imagining than his first film and yeah I, th- I mean obviously he's <clears throat> he's really like done a great job with a few of his films and um i love like those little like character cameos like uh house of a thousand corpses had dr satan at the end yeah and that that to me is so rad when they do that in films and then it just leaves you with questions like oh what's up with that like you know you want to see like a spinoff based on him but then the uh the devil's rejects came out and they, there's like a news article that they read about how Dr. Satan was discovered or taken and and it's all the supernatural aspect of it was just completely gone at that point but when, when I first saw him it didn't feel like it was like a human thing at all it was like oh dude like it's this like monster down there you know yeah and so, they're doing a ritual too so you feel like the ritual they're doing is like part of Dr. Satan I know like at the end of yeah. House of a Thousand Corpses they're like painting and 
they like painted like a big pentagram and like all these other symbols and shit. So I know exactly what you mean. It feels like they're almost uh, offering these people to Doctor Satan. Yeah, yeah, and then and then they kind of took that mystery and that magic away, you know, in in the Devil's Rejects. Like, yeah. So it, I don't know. Like I I don't understand where that was happening between the writing for these two films. You know, Rob's just like, ah, I'm bored. Let me just like, you know, go a different direction with this, but. It's yeah. understandable, you know, like I, I try to write songs and I think about songs that I wrote that, you know, were received well. And then all of a sudden I'm trying to do that again, but then I'm also trying to add something new to it. And it just ends up kind of tanking because I'm I'm trying too hard, you know, and I'm just like trying to reference other things as opposed to just coming in fresh. So I could see where like in the creative uh, aspect of it, it would get lost down the line. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's one that I, I listened to a podcast where he was talking to uh, Mick Garris on Postmortem. Um, I don't know if you know who Mick Garris is, but he, he's a director as well. He directed Sleepwalkers and Stephen King's The Stand miniseries and stuff. Oh, OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so he uh, and he's done a bunch of writing on some other uh, horror films. I just don't you know know his catalog. But if you look it up, you'll find a probably bunch of like mini little producing credits and stuff. But either way, they yeah. were talking and they were discussing uh, how all a lot of his movies came to be. And he said in House of a Thousand Corpses that the movie was uh, a lot shorter. And I believe that the movie was supposed to end after Otis kills the cop and like the scene pans away. You know, that scene where like he shot the cop in the head and like it just pans away while and then like yeah, the shots like super delayed. Such a powerful scene. Yeah. And I think that the rest of the movie was like you need like uh, they said that after the first screening, the the whole like everybody hated it and they were like where's the rest of this movie well you know or whatever so they gave him a lot more budget to go film an ending and that's where i think the whole dr satan thing came came from so i think when it came time for doc uh devil's rejects probably when he finally got you know the full creative again or whatever and got the chance he was like well i'm not gonna worry about the ending they made me tack on kind of like uh with uh, a nightmare on elm street you know like when part three comes around nancy's just fine and they kind of ignored the ending of part one is the same thing with army of darkness yeah. and evil dead Two. it's like evil, uh the, the end of evil dead Two. he's like already in like the medieval times and then once army of darkness starts he's like working at the grocery store and then goes back again to the medieval times so it's like he right. almost just you know took it as a, a way out to get rid of the supernatural element before it was too late type thing so i can yeah. see where it's uh where like i can see why he did it but at the same time it's like when you look at it from a outside standpoint like this is a you know a trilogy of films when we're looking at it it just opens up like plot holes and you know problems and stuff so yeah it it takes like i think it takes a a certain person to really like you know latch on to the vision and just keep it going consistently without any sort of you know alterations but yeah you got to go through so many so many production headaches you know to get your films made especially if they don't like absolutely smash the box office one guy that that I really admire is uh, Robert Kurtzman, and he he you know he did like uh, from dusk till dawn, Wishmaster, The Haunting of Hill House, all that. Like he he actually did uh, directed my music video when I first signed at Metal Blade. Okay, so oh, yeah, yeah we we uh, the band was Dawn of Ashes, and it was like all you know like horror themed metal. Um, my singer was a big H.P. Uh, Lovecraft fan, so there was a lot of that material as well you know talking about uh dagon and cthulhu and stuff like that but in a, in a really like cryptic way that just sounded pretty metal so yeah. we got together with kurtzman and his um 
David Greathouse and their production company, and we kind of shot a, like a kind of campy 80s horror type feeling at the old Haunted Bisman building in Ohio. And uh, that was pretty cool because the, the night before we went in to shoot there, the ghost hunters came through and they did like a, they put some uh, baby powder in the attic and like, you know, there's like little footprints that appeared on it and stuff like that, supposedly. So it, it was pretty fun. It was a good experience, but we got to work with Kurtzman and, you know, go through his, his uh, production house. They did all the special effects. You know, we did some stuff with tentacles and uh, they put together our costumes and they're just like, they love the horror genre and it doesn't matter if it's big budget, if it's low budget, like they're just all about it. And you could just tell, you know, that passion was there and he's a yeah. guy that's just been in the game since oh, I don't even know how long, you know, it's he's, his credits just span a, a, an entire era. I think since like 86, maybe um, evil dead Two, the phantasm nightmare on Elm street. Like he's just, he's been involved with so many cool yeah. films. Which so phantasm it was really was, uh, 79. The, the first phantasm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that film alone, like I, I would see that on TV when I was younger and I would just be like, what, is, what's going on? Like these yeah. little clo- cloaked guys, this flying thing, this old man, like it was such a, a wild, um, it, it was kind of like those NES games where like you would see the cover of the Nintendo game and like, there's like two like dudes with machine guns, like a dragon, a robot. You're like, what is going on? There's so <laughs> many elements, you know, it was, it was Who's always like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was such a trip. So working with um, somebody like that, I was just like, man, I can't imagine like your entire life. You've just been figureheading and just keeping alive this like this awesome, you know, genre of horror. And he's just just taking all these chances. And then he was cool enough to, to you know, sit down and work with us and give that that time up to him, you know. So, yeah, um, I think like is you know a case like that the the whole point i'm making is just that passion for it you know that passion to tell these stories is it's so rare you know you can see when big money companies get a hold of it you know what they're doing with it versus somebody like kurtzman who is just like oh dude this is badass you know like let's reference some things and let's make something like really creepy and cool and use special effects makeup yeah that's one thing that i love about uh like when you see those like horror um, like style music videos and stuff it almost feels like you know most of the time when you're doing a music video the the band might not get like 100 percent say in it but i know that they you know at least get a choice in the style of music video you know like they get to decide that it's going to be a horror style music video so whenever you see that it's always nice to know that it's a love letter not only from the bands but then to know that the people behind it cared too you know because you could hire anybody and make them do what you want to do because you're paying them to do it so to know yeah. that it's somebody that comes along and actually has that love and passion for the same things that you want to put into it just makes it so much more awesome, especially when you see the end product. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to be able to kind of, you know, when you do in a band, uh, a lot of times you try to try to grab on and control as much as you can. And it's so much work. It's so stressful. And so when you can just like release some of that control and just let somebody else, you know, kind of guide the ship for a little bit and you trust them, that's, that's like priceless, you know? So yeah, it's, it's cool to just be able to show up and be like, okay, today I'm just a performer, you know, I'm going to have fun with this and I'm not going to try to micromanage anything because I don't have to like that. That is, that really makes it, you know, an experience worth having as opposed to pulling your hair out because, you know, you wanted this much blood or you, you wanted the, you know, something to look this way. We're just like, yeah. cool. Kurtzman's a legend. Like, let's trust him. Let's just let him go for it. So hell yeah. How could you not? 
So, uh, yeah. I kind of feel like I know the answer to this question, but if you could ever score a horror movie, would you like to score a horror movie? And if so, what kind of subgenre would you like to score? Uh, that's a great question. Um, actually, one of my great passions is uh, film scores. So uh, I would absolutely love to score a film. Oh, um, yeah. I had a I, I was working with a guy who makes a lot of games. His name is Matt Newman. Good friend mm-hmm. of mine. He's, he's just awesome. Super creative guy. And he was developing a werewolf fighting game. Oh, that's so awesome. You, yeah, if you could think of like Bloody Roar meets like Street Fighter, you know, side scrolling. Yeah. And uh, I got to c- start composing a score for that. And, you know, the idea was kind of to g- give it a little bit of a Danny Elfman flair, you know, a lot of those, the choirs and the, um, but then at the same time, like I always think of the Predator score and the instruments used in that. So I put together some tracks for that. And, oh, you know, after this, I can probably send you one if you want to check it out. But Hell that yeah. was one of the most, enjoyable experiences i've had being you know tasked to make music for something else so i think i would absolutely love scoring a horror film as far as the genre goes um you know i I would say you know something along the lines of uh you know supernatural kind of dark and psychological because i love the dramatic builds and stuff i think i think i could probably do justice to any genre you know a film like killer clowns from outer space or return of the living dead you know you just have to kind of see what you're working with and feel out the vibe. What do you want to uh, invoke emotionally with that? So yeah, that that's a great question, man. I, I really like that. And I, that's something that I hope to see myself doing more of, you know, as, as my career goes on. No, definitely, man. I'd love to see you do it. Uh, I could see it uh, fitting in perfectly with, you know, the style of music that you do with all the damn vampires and stuff. That's exactly why I said it. I kind of feel yeah. like the answer is because it, it fits that, you know, vibe you know especially some of the instrumental stuff it uh you could easily place that in a movie for some of the score and stuff and plus uh, it always seems like keyboard players uh translate better i don't know why but maybe it's just because there's actual like theory more theory in that stuff but uh i always sure. feel like i always feel like those are the guys that are like the kick-ass uh, uh composers <laughs> you know what i mean like john masari he plays a lot of keyboard and stuff and uh killer clowns is one of my favorites but yeah it was like like keyboard became a necessity if I wanted to write music, you know, because like if if you do guitar, you can't use guitar for everything because if you hear guitar, you're always going to be taken to a place with that. But like yeah. if you're scoring a film, uh, piano, keys, synths, that that stuff is universal. You, you, you can just use like pads and stuff because I'm, I'm completely self-taught. So, you know, when I get on there, I start with the sound and I just build around that. So scoring and, you know, especially the all the damn vampire stuff that really provided me with the toolkit to branch out, you know, and, and make things like scores as well as the music. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh yeah. And do you have a, uh, real quick, do you have a favorite all time horror movie score? Favorite all time horror movie score. That's tough. There's so many, <laughs> honestly, like I'm going to have to say, uh, probably dead silence. I like the, uh, the music box, the yeah. little, the charm they did, uh, Freddy, Nightmare on Elm Street, that that was also up there with me, you know, that real creepy, like those accents, you know, I, I love those. They, they Even in the Goonies, they have little accents like that with the little yeah. chimes. So uh, I'd have to say those those stuck in my head. Obviously, Halloween is probably the most uh, iconic and well done of those scores. You know, it just, you can't not think of what's going on when you hear that, that uh 
Michael Myers theme, you know? So, yeah, no, um, definitely. Anything John Carpenter. Yeah, I, I, I'd say it's it's a tie between those three, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and, and Dead Silent. It's like anything with those little callbacks and those little chimes, you know, just really like reminding you. You could see the most beautiful park, the most beautiful forest, and you hear that those few notes, and you're like, okay, this is what I'm watching right now, you know? Yeah. No, one that... uh. I feel like a lot of people forget about, but it's super iconic is a uh, psycho psycho scores mm, super, mm-hmm. super up there. But, yeah. That's a tension builder. It's just like, you know, really just builds it up that that's definitely underrated for sure. Yeah. So, uh, with all the damn vampires, if you could make a music video, uh, for it and it be a remake of any horror movie, what remake would you do for the music video? You know, like a short film version. Yeah. I, I mean, if if you consider it a a classic horror film, it would just it would absolutely have to be Lost Boys. Oh yeah, I was hoping. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty pretty easy to to go there. But uh, there's a, there's actually something that I have in the works um, with some of my my friends that helped me out with the uh, Saturday video, and uh, we're we're putting something together for another track, and we're we're gonna go a lot bigger budget this time. We're gonna okay, shoot yeah. on the uh, Phantom Alexa cameras, you know, and just get those gorgeous wide shots um so i, I don't want to say too much because i don't want to give it away but yeah i'm the place that i'm going to in my head is is guns and roses cold november rain meets lost boys so oh hell yeah uh, yeah Two classics <laughs> yeah so if we can get that and pull that off then it's gonna be pretty awesome no that'd be dope and uh so my final question for you is pretty much uh i know you said that you had a kind of an experience you know working in the place after the ghost hunters were there but do you have any horror stories of your own and they can be from you know being on the road and they could be a realistic horror story you know like just something you know went completely wrong as far as you know technical and it was a big show or it could be something like you actually had an encounter that you feel was supernatural oh man i've got uh i've got two and i'll kind of keep them short but they they're definitely something that stayed with me my whole life um the first was there was a, uh, I think it might have been Silmar, California. There was an abandoned insane asylum, and it's Woo. two stories. The lower half of it came down in an earthquake, so I think they shut it down. Yeah. And we found out about this place, so we would just go and explore. And we love exploring places that were scary, like the we called it the Sugar Shack, and we'd go where like the Manson family used to meet up and stuff. And um, but this particular building, it was completely derelict and abandoned. And we showed up and there was like writing all over it. There's two double doors in the front. And in big words, it said uh, hell or something or hell beyond these doors. You know, just real ominous. But we figured just some transients or homeless people trying to keep you out. So the first thing that happened when we got there is we went around the side to try to find a way in. And there was a little set of stairs that went down into a a lower door that must have gotten you in through like the basement. And I look at the, the doorway and I see a shadow go across it. And it, it looked like a person went across the door. And so I it, it automatically spooked me. I shined the light and it wasn't uh, a doorway that was open at all. It was just a solid wall and the door was a little bit farther down to the left. So whatever I saw was able to move as a shadow that looked like it was moving across this wall, but there was nobody there. The door wasn't open. So that, that immediately spooked me. Yeah. We, decided to just try to get in through the front door so we got in and we kind of walked around the place and explored it and uh you know it was it was in bad shape but it wasn't horrible you know there was you could still make your way through the hall just like normal and everything so we uh we went back the uh the next day 
or the next night, I should say, to explore it again. And the, one of the sides of the door was open. The hallway had these giant oxygen tanks that were down in the, the lower levels of the place that we explored um, the night before. They were actually upstairs now in the hallway all of, uh, all through it. And what? one of the... Yeah, dude, it was so weird. It was like somebody went on a rampage there, but it would have taken so much effort to move all these tanks up there. Yeah, and then, that's what uh, I was thinking. That's some heavy yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, and you know, my friends at the time, like they're they're all stoned and whatever. I was straight edged, so I just was the sober one. And in my head, I'm like, okay, that's that's not right. Like that would have taken a lot of work. There's something very odd about this. And the next room uh, down the hall that we had kind of walked through before there was uh, glass slides all over the floor like you would take blood samples on and they were everywhere. And so we're kind of peeking in. We're like, dude, what the heck is going on? You know, like as we're thinking this, there's a, a corner inside of that room across from us and it's it's where the wall was broken out and you could get into the next room from it. Mm-hmm. Didn't think of anything, think anything of it the night before, but as we were stepping in and noticing it, you could hear somebody breathing really heavy kind of close to that wall as if they were just like peeking around to look at us and as we're noticing that sound of breathing to really confirm to us that something or someone was there we heard the glass those little glass blood slides in that particular area we heard some drop and some break and so we just pieced out we turned around booked it down the hill and we got pulled over on the way down by uh, a cop that was patrolling and he was like what are you guys doing and, and we're like oh we you know, we just wanted to explore. We heard it's creepy and we wanted to freak ourselves out, you know. And so yeah. he, he went pretty easy on us. But he's like, look, guys, don't come back here because uh, there's a lot of dangerous people that are hanging out around here. There's a lot of problems we've had. Basically warning us that we could die if we hang out there because of the transients that hang out there. And I guess there's mountain lions in the area. So it was, yeah. uh, it was a, a pretty ominous warning from him. But whatever we experienced there just something was off man you know you could just feel that energy it was like heavy and you know i i'm not gonna say i don't believe in ghosts um because i absolutely do but yeah i don't know what what we were experiencing there but the shadow to me was the most supernatural that didn't make any sense like physically at all yeah because somebody could have moved the tanks it's just like who would go through all all that effort but i know what you mean with the the shadow it's like and like everything else you know could be explained by just people like a bunch of people but now the shadow is something that definitely can't explain without uh the right sunlight and or like you said the doorway to actually be there for somebody to walk through (laughs) yeah yeah like physically it just made no sense um the last story i have i i'm always hesitant to share this one but it did happen to me and it's just so out there that i don't know you know people might think i'm full of shit but fuck (laughs) them yeah when so there's a uh a little beach town that I grew up going to. Uh, one of my friends since kindergarten, uh, his parents own a house there. So I grew up going there all the time during the summer, on the weekends. And uh, it's in between Ventura and Santa Barbara. And okay. so the, the town doesn't have a like a traditional bridge to get out to the beach because of the highways right there. So you have to actually go inside of a tunnel and you walk through the tunnel, you crouch down. And then I think they recently redid it so you can stand up now when you walk through, but it goes under the highway and you end up out on the beach. And the thing that separates the highway for the beach is just a wall of rocks. And you can you sit up on those rocks, you know, you usually can just go out on the sand. But one night, um, my, myself, my good friend and two others walked through there. And when we got out to the end of the tunnel, the tide was so high that the water was literally at the uh, bottom of the tunnel, which is 
really abnormal. I've never seen it that high up. Usually there's some sand before you get to the tide. Yeah. So um, the, it didn't deter us. Like we wanted to still, you know, hang out. So we went out and kind of maneuvered our way around the outside of the tunnel in the rocks and got on top of it so we could sit there and enjoy the, the beach at night. But it was just such a weird night. I'd been going there my whole life and I'd never seen the tide that high. Um, it just felt odd. And we're all sitting up there just, you know, talking like, you know, 15, 16 year old kids will do. And I looked over and my friend Scott that was sitting with me, his like jaw was hanging down. And I'm like, dude, what, what's going on? And he's like, he's like, Dave, I saw, I saw something, man. I saw a ghost or something. I, I'm like, dude, listen, every time a car drives by and as I'm explaining this, the girl starts screaming next to me. She says she sees it too. And I'm like, guys, every time a car goes by on the freeway, you're seeing the shadow across the whitewash. Um, and as I'm like convincing myself this and telling him that I look and I see what looks like uh, a figure of like a, a woman or something a light gray. The only way I can describe it is like, uh, have you been on the, the haunted mansion at Disneyland? No, I haven't. Okay. Well in, in the center room, the dining hall, there's like these holograms they put up and they're just the ghosts floating around. It was literally like that. Like they were, it was like, she was slightly transparent and gray. But the thing that was weird about it was without even having time to think about it or develop my own thoughts about it, I felt terrified as soon as I noticed it. It was like she noticed me and I had this horrible like feeling of despair and just not wanting to be there. And so we just all got back in the tunnel and ran out, but it happened so quick. And it was the reason it, it startles me like to this day to think about like my hair standing up right now on the back of my neck is I didn't. I was really not convinced of what they were seeing and I was trying to disprove them and it just caught me right there as I was saying it, you know? And it was like, yeah. it was one of the most disturbing feelings I've ever had. So whatever it was, in my opinion, was evil. It wasn't like, you know, some friendly thing. And uh, the fact that it happened when the tide was that high with other people, like I didn't just see it on my own, you know, they, I could still go back to this day and ask my friend Scott, like, do you remember, dude, when we saw that? And he, he knows, you know, because it yeah. stays with you. It's just really strange. And uh, I've always wondered, you know, if there's some relation to that tide, you know, maybe somebody when they were driving, you know, in the 70s or something flipped off that highway and drowned with the high tide or something in their car. I, I don't know. But yeah, it was a uh, to this day one of the the wildest things i've ever experienced in the most supernatural and i have no explanation for it <laughs> no that's nuts dude you got me looking over my shoulder right now on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah if you get a chance check out the just watch like a video of the haunted mansion ride at disneyland mm. and when they get to the the center dining room you'll know because there's all these ghosts flying around everywhere that's really the the substance of what it looked like or visually what it looked like to me at the time too it wasn't like uh, Return the Slab from Courage the Cowardly Dog? <laughs> <laughs> no. It was like, it, it was weird because there was just enough to where I could make out that it looked like a female. You know what I mean? And yeah. Like, yeah, that, that was... Lorona, dude. Yeah, just gliding across the, the water as it broke. It, I don't know. It was just yeah. <laughs> disturbing. Could have been, been a bride that couldn't swim out there taking wedding pictures and got sucked in. Something. It could have been anything. Yeah, I mean, it did look like it was a dress of some sort. Yeah, so. <laughs> and that's just crazy. But yeah. I appreciate you sharing, man. I appreciate you coming on the show, too. Do you want to tell uh, everybody, you know, like where they can find your social media and uh, all the damn vampires, you know, what, uh, you know, what the ad is for that on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that? Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Um, 
all the damn vampires. I've got a, a landing space for everything. It's just smarturl.it backslash all the damn vampires. Um, Instagram is all the damn vampires official. So if you ever want to look it up on there, I also have the link in the biography. But uh, just about everything's on that smart URL page. So check it out and uh, give a follow on the different socials. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy the music as much as I enjoy making it. So I just want to say thanks again for listening and make sure you check back next week as I'll be joined by the one and only Chad Tronkel, a.k.a. DHD, the vocalist and bassist of the hard-hitting Red Death. These guys are slowly becoming one of my favorite bands, so if you haven't checked them out, I highly recommend them. Also, make sure you go follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm going to start doing some horror trivia, and I'm it's going to be open to anybody that's willing to join. So if you want to be a part of that, just you know, make sure you're following us, especially on Instagram. We also got a watch-along coming up of the 1989 slasher classic Intruder. Rest in peace, Danny Hicks. And it's got a bunch of special guests. Uh, Tom from the Cajun Train is going to join us. The guys from Fright Vision. And a bunch more. So just make sure you go follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out Loudmouth Threads, who do this awesome original podcast artwork. And steadily killing it in the game as far as horror merch goes. He just released some sick-ass Twin Peaks stuff. So definitely go check that out. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.